You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start getting our trail cameras ready and our trail cameras out to start capturing pictures of velvet bucks. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Now, what is Velvet Fest? Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of different prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cameras on the market. Now, until July 12th, when you purchase any trail camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information on Velvet Fest. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name's Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And today we have a very unique story. Now imagine this. You are married to a person and you think you know this person really well. Then you start talking to one of their family members and it has never come up in conversation before, but one of their uncles owns a ton of primo ground in a big buck state and that's what today's podcast is about we're going to be talking with Tristan Sipes of Tennessee about how he got a basically a gift to him uh, being able to hunt a piece of property that he married into and uh, the amount of good deer living on it and he kind of walked into a booner right um Now, obviously, a lot of hard work, strategy, and uh, um, persistence paid off in killing that animal, but that's what today's podcast is about. It's a really awesome story that we all wish something like that would happen to us, like a long-lost relative would call us up and say, hey, man, I I heard you like to hunt deer. Why why don't you hunt my farm? I have... uh, you know, this large farm that no one else hunts and it's got big bucks on it, right? We all wish that would happen to us. So, but before we get into today's podcast, man, I'm going to keep this intro short and I want to talk about ripcord arrow rests, right? You hear me talk about the, the, this company all the time and let's leave the product out of it a second. And we talk about the people, right? It's a veteran owned company. The product is made in America and the customer service is outstanding, right? So if you have a problem with your product, you call them up, they answer it and they fix your problem. 
right? They will walk you through what you're doing wrong or if there's a malfunction with their product, which there really is, isn't ever. I've had a, a ripcord on my bow for like 13 years now. Um, and before I started getting some of their new products uh, and actually w- technically working with the company on this podcast, I was getting, I had the same ripcord on my bow for like, I want to say seven years. And I beat the absolute shit out of my equipment and uh, every single time that ripcord arrow rest performs now they have a variety of different arrow rests you know they have a limb driven system they have string driven system so what you need to do is go to ripcordarrowrest.com and check out all of the varieties that these guys make and they offer and uh, check them out it's one of you know I'm gonna. I feel very confident saying that it is technic is literally one of the best drop away rests on the market, and uh, it just it works every single time, right? And uh, with the new technology that they keep bringing out, with uh, being able to micro adjust your setup, uh, man, accuracy goes to a whole new level, right? You're able to hone and hone and tinker with everything until it's absolutely perfect so ripcordarrowrest.com now we've talked a lot we've talked a little (laughs) let's get into today's epic story with tristan sipes all right on the phone with me right now mr tristan spies is that how you say it sipes 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 it's too early we're recording this at like (laughs) 8 a.m central and what's it 9 a.m east coast time Yep. Yep. So uh, I reached out for some epic stories recently, and you uh, responded with a whole bunch of pictures. And I get to know a little bit about your story, and it's awesome. And uh, and it's also a little laughable, right? Because everybody wishes everybody wishes this would happen to them. But yeah, before we get into all that, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? I'm from Dartburg, Tennessee, um, same town as Barrett Burns. I think you did a podcast with him back several months ago. Um, I work in water, sewer, and natural gas. Yeah. So I do I do construction and all that stuff for that. Gotcha. Digging trenches and uh, laying pipe yeah. and stuff like that? Laying, laying water line, new services, new construction, all that stuff. So um, also we have a system that we have to keep maintained. So it yeah. uh, keeps us pretty busy at the it's an all year thing. So, so does it ever freeze in Tennessee where you live? It does. It does. Uh, seems like our winters, we don't really get our winter until February. Like when, when it starts getting real bad. Um, this past winter was pretty mild though. Uh, we had a lot of rain and it, it never got real cold. So the summer times here though are, are brutal. I hate it. I hate summertime. I despise it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lived in the, the mosquitoes. Sa- the mosquitoes are terrible, and oh, I hate it. Yeah, I lived in the South uh, for a couple summers. I want to say three summers, and uh, mm-hmm. one of them I was living down in Atlanta, and they weren't. They're not joking when they, you know, they joke about that town being called Hot Lana. Man, it, <laughs> I just remember walking outside and just dripping like instantly the humidity hits you and it just you're if you're in the south during the summertime you just got to get used to sweating all the time absolutely absolutely if if i had my rathers i would move up north 
for the summertime. I really would. Yeah, yeah. So in in your part of the state, what mm-hmm. uh, what's hunting like? It's good. Um, I you know I say that we've got we've got a, a a healthy herd, but we've got a lot of a good deer that get killed around here every year. But they're not as numerous as you have to work a lot harder for them here. And so, you know, that's that's one thing. Once I started getting up in Illinois and everything, I think everything changed. And once I started hunting up there, I mean, literally, it makes me not want to hunt around here. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's difficult. And you're not the first guy to ever say that, man. I've talked to guys. Let's see. One guy lives in eastern Pennsylvania, kind of close to the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mm-hmm. man, I don't even try to waste my time. I don't even waste my time. If I'm going to go do something. I'm taking a trip to Ohio or Kansas or right. Southern Illinois. I think it was where this guy was hunting, and uh, yeah. he doesn't even he does like he doesn't even hunt in his home state anymore because it's not even worth his time. And that's just because he wants a different hunting experience than other people that live there. Yeah, I, you know I hunt around here quite a bit. Most of my hunting around here is on public ground. Um, uh, me and Barrett we hunt quite a bit together so uh you know you can get on a good deer around here but you've got to put your time in and you've got to do a lot of things that a lot of guys around here won't do yeah yeah that's uh so that's a common story amongst public land hunters now what would you what would you say you know in in the part of the state that you live is a good representation of the herd like if you if you shot this deer you would be happy with it every single year oh if, if you a lot, of, a lot of people around here are very happy with, uh, you know, a thirties, a, a deer in the thirties, something like that. I personally, it's not really on my radar. Um, I think Illinois kind of spoiled me a little bit to where I'm a lot pickier about right. what I shoot. Um, but you know, a lot of people around here are starting to get on the same page. You know, they're starting to understand that, you know, if you can let these deer reach maturity then you've got a lot better chance at, you know, harvesting a good deer and it's beneficial to everybody. Right. Right. All right. So, uh, talk to me about the terrain in Tennessee where you live. Cause for some reason, when I hear Tennessee, I think mm-hmm. Appalachian mountains. No, no, no. no. And that, and on that side of the state, that would be correct. But in West Tennessee, literally I'm, I'm, 10 miles from the Mississippi River, so most of this ground here is all flat farm ground. Um, we do have some rolling hills and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's all bottom ground. Gotcha. So the eastern side of the state is when it starts to run into the mountains. Yeah, once you start getting over to the to, to middle Tennessee and, and further east is when you start getting into the bigger hills and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm such an idiot. I... I'm looking at a map now of the United States, and mm-hmm. I completely forgot that Tennessee runs so far east-west, and right, right, so right into Memphis. How far are you from Memphis? About an hour and a half or so, about eighty miles okay, north, so, straight north. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're at you're probably how far are you from St. Louis? I can be in St. Louis in three hours. Okay, gotcha. All right, so you're right there by the. Uh, like, are you close to the Kentucky border then? Yeah, Kentucky border is just north of Real Foot Lake, and I can be there in roughly 45 minutes. 
gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So actually, it's not. For some reason, I thought as you're taking these epic adventures to Illinois, that it's this, <laughs> you know, this seven, eight hour drive. When in all reality, it's not that far. No, where her family's from is is uh, Southern Illinois, and I can be there in about two hours fifty minutes. Okay. So not a it's not a bad drive, and it, it's it works out pretty well. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to transition into this story, right? And it's okay. I say I'm going to say it's similar to winning the lottery because because I have a feeling that when when you heard this news you were like oh my god and then you got permission to yeah. ha- okay anyway I, I'm gonna ruin yeah. it why don't you just walk us through this story start at the very beginning when you met your wife and and uh, you know all that stuff I'll ask some questions along the way and we'll get into okay. this story so so I met my wife in 2003 we started dating. I started hunting Southern Illinois about 2007-ish, and it was a little further south of where her family's at. And anyway, long story short, we were we were leasing ground and doing all that stuff. And so fast forward, we get married in 2008, and then 2012 rolls around. And this is, uh, I've got a farm in Southern Illinois. I, I kill a decent deer on that farm. So... Going into 2013, that September, September of 2013, I was talking to her uncle on the phone. I said, hey, I said, if you hear some ground that comes up for lease, let me know. I'd, like, I'd be interested in it. I'd like to look at it. And he just kind of sat there for a second. And he said, uh, "He said, well, why do you want to lease ground when you have all this 200 acres of creek bottom to hunt? And I just, I just sat there, and I didn't say anything for it seemed like 30 seconds, but <laughs> I just sat there and I said, what are you talking about? He said, all this ground down here that we've got. He said, I don't know why you hadn't been up here hunting. I said, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so I I have literally, I've drove by this farm a hundred times up there visiting, whether it be for Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. Every time I've drove by this farm, I've looked at it and thought, my God, that looks like a killer farm. And come to find out, that's it. <laughs> so, so, how did this not, with you being such a big hunter, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure th- your wife's family knows that you're a big hunter, why right. did it never come up in conversation the, whatever, <laughs> was it eight years since you met her, to the point, you know, in 2012 when you started, when you actually got access to the farm, how, how did it never come up? Yeah, if you wanted to go back, it was actually it was actually ten years from the time that I met her until the time that I actually found out that he owned it. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know why it never got brought up. I don't know if maybe he was just filling me out to see if, you know, we were gonna work out or whatever. I don't know, but um for whatever reason I'm glad it, it happened the way it did now. Yeah, absolutely. So so <laughs> Uh, her uncle says, yeah, I don't know why you're not hunting this farm. And you're like, mm-hmm. you say, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't know you guys owned any ground. And he's like, yeah, we got uh, yep. some, we got 200 acres down here. Right. All right. Right. So but- after you put your socks back on, right. Uh, mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. so what was the next step into, into this? Uh, did you, okay, did you so, go scout it? Yeah. So that was, uh, that was the third week of September. I remember it like it was yesterday. 
that was the third week of September when I talked to him on the phone. I went up the second week of October and scouted it. So that was October of 2013. And, of course, Illinois season opens October the 1st. So season was already open. First thing that I did when I found out where it was at was I instantly got on the computer and pulled up aerial of it. And that's kind of how I did the the main uh, – the majority of my scouting was from aerial views of it. Yeah. And, I, and, and the way this farm is set up, there's big timber to the north. Inside, there's big timber to the south. And inside of both of these tracks of timber, um, there's about a 60-acre CRP field that sits in the side of it. Okay. So so when I was looking at this on the aerial, I looked at the west side of the farm and there's a bottleneck that connects both of those tracks of timber. Okay. And then the CR the CRP field would be just east of it that that ties into all that. Um so looking at the map further on that west side of the CRP field around that bottleneck there's also a creek right there. So what that's doing that's funneling those deer down around the inside of the corner of that crp field so anyways i go in and instantly that's the first spot that i go to and i'm not really when i when i go in there i'm obviously you're looking for big buck sign and all that stuff but i'm not really um as concerned with it yeah i knew that 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 terrain feature right there i felt like was going to be really good so i go back there and I've got uh, I look at it and I go back to the truck and I get some stand I get a stand and some sticks, go back there put it up and uh, got lucky and put it right on the X. Yeah, never moved it. So let me ask you this: um, <clears throat> when you got access to this ground, you know a mm-hmm. lot of people say you know whenever we hear these stories of people running into a good a good piece of property, they're they're like, oh man, it hasn't been hunted in fifteen years, it hasn't been hunted in twenty right. years, whatever. But then you know there's tree old tree stands in it or you know right. ATV tracks. Was this a property that anybody else was hunting? Uh, I didn't see sign of anyone in there. He did say that there was an older gentleman that occasionally shotgun hunted over there, but not much. Um, he used to, now Megan's uncle, he used to hunt it a long time ago, but once his kids got older, he kind of got out of hunting. He started his own business and didn't really have time for it. So like I said, now the farm just more or less, it just sits there and it sits there until I get there. Wow. So literally you are the only bow hunter on this ground in, uh, (laughs) throughout the entire season. Pretty much, yeah. Unless there's somebody slipping in there that I don't know about, but I've I've never seen it. Wow. So you hit the jackpot, right? You go in, you right. scout, you put up a tree stand. Mm-hmm. What was? What did you see? As I mean, did you put up any trail cameras at all? I did not. I did not put any trail cameras up because, and at that time, I didn't know when I was going to be back. I knew I had some vacation time set up for November. Um. Anyways, I kind of, I knew that there was a good chance that there would be some solid deer on this farm just because of the amount of big timber that's around it and the, and the cover, the CRP. So, um, and the I got fact that, that no one else, time, no one else has been in it. Right. Right. So it's basically a so, sanctuary. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, the, the timber to the north of it, to the south of it doesn't get hunted until shotgun season. Yeah. 
So, for, as far as I know, I mean, there's acres right there that doesn't get touched. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so how long into hunting this piece of property? I mean, when you first, when you started hunting it that year, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. was... What were you seeing? Were you seeing a lot of does? Were you seeing sign pop up? Were you seeing like little bucks, big bucks? What were what was this oh, introduction into this property like? So I had uh, I had about a week and a half of vacation that I took, and I think I got up there that year, guessing somewhere around November the fifth in that area. Yep. And instantly, when I I couldn't hunt that stand without a west wind. Um, I needed a west, and so I'd hunted. Uh, I'd hunted over there by her uncle's house. He had a real small piece right there, wasn't but like five acres, but it was pretty good. And uh, so I'd hunted over there and kind of waited on the weather to get right. And I got that first cold front, and the wind got out of the west. And at the first time I got in that stand, I have. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing all these, you know, I'm seeing some pretty good deer, you know, some deer in the twenties and a lot of, a lot of does, a lot of chasing, run activity going on and stuff like that. But, um, a few days later, I mean, the wind stayed in my favor for several days. So November the 13th rolled around and it was an, it was an afternoon hunt and I had a 150 inch 10 point, something like that came down the crp field behind me so where my lock on is is right inside that inside corner and i'm about 10 yards off of the crp field yeah and this this buck comes walking but he's he's inside the crp well stupid me and my hastiness didn't trim out enough shooting lanes into the crp oh boy so this so yeah so this deer gets by me and from and, and, and you I being a, a guy from tennessee right you're just like mm -hmm. i just saw one of the biggest deer of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This 150 um, class. Yeah, he was beautiful deer, chocolate rack, and in between his two and his three on his right side, he had a ball, a ball of antler there that just looked like a cucklebur. Oh, wow. I'll never forget it. Yeah. So the deer gets by me. He goes by me right behind my stand, goes over to that creek that I was telling you about on the west side of the CRP, and then he turns and angles out in front of me. So at this time, he's 60 yards through the timber, but I still have no shot at it. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. I was kind of sitting there debating on, you know, what my options were. And I let him get on out in front of me a little bit, and I snort wheezed at him. And he, he never even broke stride. He was, it seemed like he was on a mission. I don't know what he was doing, but he was steadily walking, never broke stride. And, and I snort wheezed at him again and nothing. He just kept going. So... He gets out of sight, and I just sit there, and I bury my head in my hands. And I'm like, man, I just completely effed that up. Yeah. And within, literally, deer gets out of my sight, and two minutes rolls around, and I look up, and this buck is charging my tree. That same 150 and class? No, different deer. Okay. so Different what's, buck. So a different deer so this, pops out of nowhere, yeah. and it's coming right in. The only thing that I can figure is he heard that snort wheezing, but he came on a screen to my tree and stopped directly underneath me. And when I, I get full draw on him, he's straight down, but he's got his head turned looking the way he came from. So 
the left side of his his antlers are covering all of his vitals, and I can't shoot him. So oh. I hold I hold full draw on this deer for about thirty seconds, and when he turned his head, I touched it off and it hit him perfect. Deer runs about eighty yards, falls down, and uh, anyways, I get to him and the biggest deer i've ever killed so wait wait a second this one of the biggest deer you had just ever seen yeah makes his way by your stand and you don't get a crack at Mm -hmm. him and is this deer that that came in on a string bigger than that one yes this deer ended up scoring this deer ended up scoring 173 what (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I have to say it you lucky son of a bitch falling into that right so so when i you know i shoot this deer and inst- when i say the deer fall i knew when he was underneath me i knew that i knew i thought he was around 160 is when i thought yeah and when i seen the deer fall i'm not gonna lie to you i cried my eyeballs out <laughs> i believe it and i did so i call her uncle and i'm telling him what's happened and he says how big's the deer and i said man i think he's about 160 i really don't know and I think he sat there for a minute like, you know, this guy doesn't know what a 160-inch deer looks like. Mm-hmm. So he never even offers to help me get the deer out. Yeah, I have to get the deer out myself. <laughs> so I get the deer out, and I take it to his house. And when I pulled up at his house, he looked at it, and he said, well, he said, you did pretty damn good. Yeah. I said, no kidding. So that's when I put a tape on him. And when I come up with that, I was just, yeah. My mind was blown. That is crazy. That is absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. And this was like, how many hunts into this property was it? You said about like a week into the property? Yeah, but this was probably, I think this was my fourth sit in that stand. Okay. Okay. So. Wow. Wow. That, yeah. That's nuts. So the first trip to Illinois, the first time hunting this property, mm-hmm. you drop mm-hmm. a booner. Mm-hmm man that's correct and so um, being a guy from tennessee who has never even seen a deer from a stand this big what mm-hmm. like what's going through your mind at this point well uh thinking about how fortunate i was and i am to be able to do that because you know there's a lot of guys that that hunt all their life that never see a deer like that let alone get a shot at one. So, but it, but it also, it made me proud that, you know, that everything that I did, I did right. Even though I, you know, I'm not, you know, I lucked up putting that stand in the right spot, but I feel like a lot of that too was, was, you know, knowing how to read aerials and all that stuff and, yeah, and kind of, you know, previous homework. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't straight luck, right? I mean, it was, you, you got an opportunity on a killer piece of ground. You did your research. Yeah. You knew where to put the stand, and lo and behold, it was the right spot. Yep. Yep. Man. That's kind of how that went down. And so the next few years turned out to be pretty good as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can believe it. So this the, the buck you shot, was it, you said 2012 is when you shot that 12-pointer? That was in 13. In 2013. Okay. So 2013, yeah. you shoot a booner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And roughly what describe the rack and the age of this deer to the audience um he's he's a typical he's a typical 12 typical 12 he's got six on one side he's got five on the other but he's got a split brow time 
Oh, okay. Gotcha. So he's um he's like an he's, eleven with with an extra brow. Yeah, he's he's seventeen and a half inches wide. I mean, five inch brow tines. He's got I think he had something like twenty three inch beams and uh his twos and threes were somewhere around ten and a half to ten in that area. Yeah. So he's tall and tight. Uh, yeah, five, you know, five and a half inch bases. I mean, he's he was solid. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, how old do you think he was? You know, I took him to the taxidermist here, and he tried to tell me he was three and a half years old, and I said, you're nuts. I said, you've lost your mind. I mean, unless he's a, he's got super genetics. I mean, the deer, you know, I could show you the picture of him, and his face is just really gray. I, I guessed him at being five or six, truthfully, but and I wish in hindsight that I would have pulled the jawbone on him and had someone else look at it, but I didn't do it. Yeah. So. Well, I tell you, I'll tell you two things. One, and this is, I'm looking at your picture right now. And for the mm-hmm. audience, um, you can go to the Sportsman's Nation website and check the pictures out, or you can go to uh, Facebook or Instagram. I'll have the pictures up uh, there as well. But just looking on it, it's not. A, I don't think it's a three year old. I think it's an older deer. But I say I, that. I but I say that. The the asterisks on that is I've actually seen three-year-old booners before so mm-hmm. it's not like mm-hmm. it's impossible right no it's not impossible i mean there was one killed here in tennessee a couple of years ago that was three and a half years old yeah yeah so that's it, not it can happen but i mean you're talking about like i said super genetics to be able to do that right right man that's crazy so uh so you you basically hit the bullseye on the very first year hunting that farm. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about mm-hmm. the next couple of years and, and what your success was like. So the, the next year in 14, um, you know, I've seen a lot of good years. I don't, I don't know that I had an opportunity, um, at, at what I considered a shooter, but, uh, in 15, I had a buck, uh, that came through that bottleneck that I was telling you about over on the west side of the CRP. When I seen him, I, I looked at him through binoculars, and I instantly knew he was a shooter. And so I picked up the rattling horns, and I banged them. And as soon as I banged them together, he went downwind of me, jumped the creek, come up the edge of the CRP field, and came to 15 yards, and I double-lunged him. He ran 60 yards and fell, and that ended up being 141-inch nine-point. That's a big deer solid deer anywhere in the country i don't care where you're at um but after after i shot him and believe me i was perfectly happy with him but i thought he was a three-year-old yeah and that's when i kind of told myself then that i didn't think that i was going to shoot another three-year-old on that farm now obviously you know if you get a super three-year-old come in that's that's hard to do but you got to kind of stick to your guns i guess especially on a place like that where i know that you know they don't get they don't get bothered a lot, so they you know they had that chance to grow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah, that was in fifteen, and then sixteen. This is this is kind of a funny story. So in sixteen, I'd been there for a few days, and then got in the stand. Weather got right again. I got the right wind, and I got in this tree. And I was texting a buddy of mine. He was up there hunting some public grounds in Illinois, and so it. At like 6.14 that morning, I was telling him, you know, the activity was pretty slow. Wasn't seeing a lot of rutting activity, anything like that. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, I need something to happen. 
um, I'm, you know, I'm starting to get burned out a little bit. And literally about 619 rolls around and I shoot 152 inch nine point. <laughs> I mean, I can't make this up. This is, it's, so I look to the West and this deer, I see a doe pop up out of the creek and right behind her. And this was still, it was still, it was right at first light. Yeah. I see this doe pop up out of the creek, and then all I seen was G2s coming behind her. And I could tell that the deer was wide and real boxy-framed. And uh, she came into my 20-yard shooting lane, and then he came right behind her and pushed her out of it and shot him and uh, made a marginal shot on him. I hit one long. He was quartered a little more than I thought he was, but um, I, I'd waited about an hour to get down and track him. And I had great blood, but I got about 150 yards into that blood trail, and I, I hadn't found him yet, so I knew that I needed to stop. And so I sat on the ground for the next two and a half hours, did not move. And when I get up, I get, I'm get i following blood all the way to the property line on the south, and there's a giant creek down there. And when I get to that creek, I'm looking at the blood going down the bank, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, you know, this deer's fixing to, I'm fixing to lose this deer in this water. And I look up on the other side of the bank, and he's laying down on the other side of the, of the creek, and he's still alive, but barely. I mean, he'd lift his head up and he'd fall back down. And so I sat there for 25 minutes, and I watched that deer die. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Sometimes that that shit happens, right? I'm not like I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here. I've put marginal shots on deer. Last year was a perfect right. example, and uh, mm-hmm. you know that's the sport that we uh, you know we have to accept that you know, we're killing an animal, right? And I hate right. I hate people who sit on their high horse and you know give other people shit about taking bad shots, uh, you know, or yep. you know. You know, oh, dude, all my deer die within one foot of where I shoot them. You know, like, who cares? You know, yeah. congratulations. Come, come on. Yeah. Yeah, but, right. So this farm, you know, you you shot, what, three good deer over the last, since, you, since you got it, got on it? I have. I okay. have, yeah. Um, what have last you learned? Year, last year, what did, what did I learn? Yeah, what have you learned about the farm since you first got it? I mean, have you been able to refine your stand locations to, like, find the best point in the bottleneck or maybe a, a really that, good terrain feature or whatever? Well, after, after going up and, and, of course, I go up and I shed hunt it and all that stuff, and and that's, that's a lot. That's when I do a lot of my walking on the farm just to see what's going on here and there and stuff like that. But I do know that one side of the farm – where that bottleneck ties into that other uh, piece of timber down there on the backside of that CRP, um, I know not to go down there at all. And there is a awesome pinch point down there, but you can't hunt it because it's so close. It's right in the middle of a huge bedding area. Yeah. Every time I've ever been in there, I've blown deer out of it, so I don't even mess with it, period. Yeah. Um, I, and I ended up putting up some more stands on that farm. Uh, there's there's one flat in there on the other side of the farm that's got a bunch of white oaks on it. It's been a pretty good tree too, um, but I haven't I haven't had that uh, I haven't had an encounter with a sure enough shooter out of that tree. So yeah. uh, the north side of the farm where I've been hunting, where I've killed those deer, has been. I mean that spot's been excellent. Yeah. So with you know, with this farm, 
you know, and, and you finding good spots and, and being able to refine it. Have you started running trail mm-hmm. cameras on it? I have. And I have. Um, what has that to- told you? I mean, has that told you, oh, dude, I need to stop shooting, you know, 152-inch uh, nine-pointers because there's more booners on the, on the <laughs> property? Or no. Have, no. You, have you been able to kind of harvest the top-tier deer every year? Well, you know, it, it tells me that there's a plethora of, you know, mid-130s deer running around there. I mean, a ton of them. Yeah. Um, get a lot of pictures of them, different deer. But, you know, it also makes me wonder, well, it proves the fact that once that deer hits maturity, you know how everybody say, you know, they kind of disappear. Well, that, you know, that's true because all of these, all of these mid one thirties and right at one forty deer that, that I've seen on this farm, you know, and I don't see them again. Even the next year, you thinking, you know, these deer are going to grow up. And you know, uh, year before last, I let a stud of a one forty walk, and that was one of them things. I thought he was a three year old deer, so I didn't pull the trigger. I had him dead to rights at twelve yards, and I didn't pull the trigger on him. And so I'm thinking, you know, this deer right here, if he's a three and a half year old deer, like I think he is, he's going to be a superstar. Yeah. And never seen him again. Yeah. So, you know, the, the farm's got plenty of, it's got everything that you need to hold a deer there to grow one. But I also think it's an exceptional rut stand as well. Um, it's just, I mean, you know, you know, as well as I do, a deer can come from five miles down the road at any point during the rut. Yeah. So. Is that, um, is that Booner the biggest deer that you've uh, have yet to see on, see on that property? Yes, yes, that's uh, that's the biggest deer that I've seen out of the tree there. Now last year, I seen one out of the truck that was that was a giant, and he was a, only about a half mile from that farm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So they're they're there, they're there. But yeah, what's you your know, uh, what's your like goal with this farm? Are you uh, are you allowed to do any like um habitat management or plant food plots on it at all well um there's there's not really an option for it i mean that that crp program is is uh it's it's been in it for years and i don't know when it comes out and i think that their regulations on that i don't think would allow me to do anything since it's already been set up yeah i know that in um, iowa you can plant 10 percent of your crp in a food plot i think it's 10 percent so, I gotcha. so you can go out, you can spray it, you can put, let's say if it's 10 acres, you can put one mm-hmm. acre of it in a food plot and, and it still counts. But I don't, yeah, know, what, I I don't know what the laws are in, in Illinois. Yeah, and, and, and I don't either, not 100%. It would take some work to put a, put a food plot on it. I mean, you'd have to go in there and clear out. I mean, these saplings now on that CRP are probably, you know, they're – about twice the size of a softball and yeah. probably 20 feet tall so it would take it would take some effort to do it yeah absolutely um, now now there are crops on this farm too but it's small it's about a about a 25 acres there and um that's one thing that hurt me last year was that it was all in corn but when i got up there all that corn was still standing yeah and i've never had to i've never had to deal with that up there before so that i think that hurt me last year how close how close were you hunting to that corn uh, I'm about probably 300 yards off of it. Um, and, and, and all I'm doing is, is over on that side, I'm catching deer. I'm catching deer that are, 
that are going to it and coming from it. So right. I wanted to be far enough off of it that, that I didn't mess anything up. Uh, uh, just trying, you know, trying to play it smart, not not trying to be too invasive, because that's that's the whole thing with that place is um, the element of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of how I'm geared towards that. Um, and you asked about the cameras. I don't run them up there a whole lot just because I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of different on cameras. Like I feel like they're a double-edged sword in a sense. Um, if if you put a bunch of cameras out and you're running them all the time, then obviously every time you go in there, you're you're putting sin on the ground, and I'm not really a fan of that. Yeah. But then also, if you get a giant buck on camera, and then you've went all season thinking, you know, hey, this is the this is my target deer, and then you end up passing, you know, a solid mid one forties, high one forties deer, and you don't get a shot at that big one. Now you're kicking yourself in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like I said, it's kind of one of the things. It's everybody's different on that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Have you thought about maybe leaving a, a camera in there all year round and just telling yourself, okay, I, I got a camera in here, but you know, maybe hang it when you do your shed hunting or right. and let it run all year. And then at the end of yeah. the year, you, you go and check it. I've thought about that now. Um, and what I'm, I'm about to do, I'm about to buy a couple cell cameras. So, okay. uh, and that's going to benefit me just because, you know, I, I don't have to go up there all the time to, to check them and I don't have to put sin on the ground. But since they, uh, there's, there's one particular camera that I'm looking at right now that, for the money, I don't think you're going to be able to beat it. So, um, we're going we're going to try that. We're going to see how it works. Well, man, let me uh, let me ask you one last question before we part way. Okay. Is do you got a buck on your hit list now uh, from last year that you're you're really interested in hoping he you know hoping he makes a return? I, I do. I have one in particular. Um, and I and I passed him up last year, and and he was a high high thirties nine point, um, beautiful deer. But he just he's one of those that man, he's got a lot of character, and I'm hoping that I see him again. Like I said, you know how that is. I mean, it's I've seen deer on that 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 one deer from two years ago that that I let walk. Yeah, I, I'd give anything to see him now, but. Um, so yeah, I've got, I've got one in particular and, and there's a couple more that I had on camera last year that are going to be pretty solid deer too, if they made it. So, um, we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck this upcoming season, man. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast. Absolutely, dude. I enjoy the podcast. It's uh, pretty good to listen to all these stories. Thank you very much, Mr. Tristan, for hopping on the podcast and sharing that story with us, man. Really appreciate your time. Thanks to all of you. I say it every episode, and I mean it every episode. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please, if you like it, tell your friends about it. Share us. Go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review. That actually helps me get noticed, uh, gets the podcast ranked a little higher, and uh, more people the opportunity 
opportunity to listen to it. So if you're not already subscribed in iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, please subscribe so this content comes to you automatically. If you are not following the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook and Instagram page or the Sportsman's Nation Facebook or Instagram page, please do so. If you haven't yet, go check out the trailer to the new Sportsman's Nation short film titled Tradition. The actual... Oh, the, the actual video, the full film, will be out really shortly and uh, very shortly, and it's going to be worth checking out. So stay tuned for that. Other than that, thank you very much to all of the partners of the, this podcast Hunter Safety System, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonics, and Prime. Uh, go check out those companies because they support this podcast. And uh, when I get companies to support this podcast, that means I can continue to bring you kick-ass stories like the one you heard today. Other than that, man, you know, go spend time with your family. Because as I am starting to realize, life goes very fast, especially now that I have three kids and I got this uh, this podcast network that I'm trying to run. Spend some time with your family because in an instant, things can change. And uh, I just want to be able to hang out with my kids and play with my kids while they're young. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, if you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week. Have a good rest of the week.